Hello and welcome back to Bleeding Blue. This is a podcast and show about the history of the New York football giants. My name is Justin and with me is one of my best friends, Nikki Snacks. Snacks, we have a lot of things. No, I won't say a lot of things. We have two main things that we're going to talk about this week. We're splitting the episode into two. First half, appreciation for Eli. Second half, Big Blue VCR joining us once again to preview the 1989 season so we can get into No Medals for Trying by Jerry Eisenberg, which is a really cool book. We're going to get into it next week. Snacks, talking to Eli this week. So you, you, you have to be doing great. You, you, exa- you, you took the words right out of my mouth, Justin. I am doing phenomenal. This is my hero. You know, you, you show the tattoo. It's on my back like an idiot that I am. Um, but it is perfect. We, we got the announcement that they're retiring Eli's number and inducting him into the ring of honor. What was it? Week three, I believe. I guess yeah, so the, it's, sep- the it's September 26th yep. against the Falcons. Yeah. So why not sit here and talk about Eli, all the great memories that we've had in Giants history and do it that way. Uh, but the second part of Big Blue VCR is phenomenal too. So. Please keep listening. All right. So snacks, you do have a tattoo. And I mean, let's just, I mean, let's just start off with this more, more of a sentimental note. And then maybe the second half of this conversation will be like, you know, hall of fame. Why should it be in the hall of fame? Blah, blah, yep. blah, blah, blah. Um, I like revisiting that conversation. I don't know. I'm sick because I know you're going to get sick. Oh, I know you, and... you, I, I saw you on Twitter this week. You, you, you started. I started. So, started. um, but, um, Tell us, like, why, why that tattoo? Why Eli? You know, I know, I know it's it's a simple, probably a simple question. It's probably a dumb question, but you know, why that tattoo? Why that saying? Why, why take a quote from Eli? Uh, go for it, because you do have a tattoo. It is permanently on your body for the rest of your life. Yes, and it is, and the tattoo artist did it perfectly, and it's in Giants blue. It's got the Giants kind of lining of it. it, it it's perfect. The text, the, the, the text, uh, the text. Yes. yes, exactly. And um, well, as you guys probably know, whoever's listening or watching, I'm I'm a giant fan. Been a giant fan a long time. A sane giant fan. A sane giant fan. Yes. As I like to call myself very sane. Uh, actually, probably one of the more sane giant fans around nowadays. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, no, when. Eli, 2004, we, we drafted Eli, and I was, what, 10, 11, 9, something like that, very easily. So I was stuck with Eli forever. And the fact that he went that whole distance and did everything he did, 16-year career with the Giants, whatever it was, whatever it was, and he was such a, a, a model quarterback, a model citizen, never missed a start, there's a lot of things in life you can't count on. Family will fuck you over. Everybody will fuck you over. Nothing in this world that won't fuck you over. But Eli always showed up Sunday in the fall. And that was that was my sanctuary. I sat there, watched Eli, watched my Giants, and that was it. And when I watched his retirement speech, and you know, it's always, it's always, it's always tough because maybe his career should have been set saved for a year or two with incompetent general managing move, but it was tough. He, he, he sat up there. He goes, Wellington Mara once said once a giant, always a giant for me, it's only a giant. And I remember watching that on my couch, watching the TV as he said that. And I'm like, that's it. 
I'm going to get a giant tattoo one day or another. That's what it's going to be. And why not right against my back? Because I love that team more than anything in the world. I love Eli more than anything in the world. And that was it. Hey, he was he was the constant for 15, 16 years every Sunday in the fall of my life. And I know he was for you too. So yeah. It it, it that doesn't get that doesn't get said about enough. He was there every Sunday. Whether they sucked, whether he sucked, whether he took shit in the papers the next day or on local news radio, uh, Boomer and Geo, whatever it was. He was there every goddamn week. He was there. And not everybody in your life can say that, but he was there. Uh, yeah, it was his job. And he got paid a lot of money to do it, but Eli was there. And I have zero, zero regrets about the tattoo I have on my back. 95% of my Giants fandom life has been Eli Manning. That I mean, it, yeah. yes, I'm I, I know I'm young. You know, I, I know I'm I know I'm a very young person. I know I'm a very young fan. And you know, um, I'm thankful that despite me being so young, that you know, I'm behind a microphone and a lot of people like to listen and uh, talk with me and they respect my opinion on you know what on what I have to say about the Giants, but still. You know, I would like to think, you know, 23, it's, it's not a, uh, it's, it's a young life, but also it is still relatively, it's a, it's a long time in some ways too. And Eli Manning has been here for, you know, what, 95, 97% of it, you know, if we really want to get really real with it. Right. You know, and sure, you know, you know, maybe I'm, I'm trying to, I was, while you were talking snacks, um, I was trying to think to myself, when, when is the ideal time to grow up as a Giants fan? You know, was it with, uh, you know, Sam Huff and Gifford and, you know, but, you know, th those teams had a stretch of, you know, they, they won some championships, but then also they had a stretch of like, they lost four championships in a row and it was crazy. Like they lost like four NFL championships in the span of five years in like the fifties yeah. the and the early sixties. So it's like, ah, maybe not that time period, but you saw a lot of great players, saw a lot of great hall of famers. Maybe you wanted to be growing up with the crunch bunch, but then like being a teenager and early adult with, the, you know, throughout the eighties and the early nineties. Right. You know, so maybe that was like the perfect time to grow up a giants fan, but, but really, you know, I, I think I really had it perfect. I think I had it absolutely perfect where I started to really be, I like my, one of my first games that I remember was there was, it was giants Eagles. It might be 2004 where Eagles were blowing out the giants and there was like a fight. That's like my first Giants memory. And I think the Giants huh. were wearing red. I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong. But then also I remember watching the Jay Feely uh, 17 missed field goals in Seattle. I remember watching that game in my sister's room for whatever reason on, you know, where she still had a VCR. She still had a VCR uh, player attached to the TV. So I am young enough. Uh, I am old enough for that. Excuse me. So um, I, you know, that I know what VCRs were and I did grow up with VCRs. But, um, you know, so that was really the first game that I remember like being upset about was that Seattle Giants game. And Eli was quarterback. Eli was a quarterback through that through that game. Eli was quarterback from the first game that I went to. Um, and he was the quarterback. The last football game that I went to was it? Um, no, it was not the Miami game. Might have been like the, the second to last football game that I went yeah, to. Yeah. Sure. You, um, you, you were there for that. Yes. Yeah. Were and you were you were you there for that? 
No, I uh, I actually refused to go. I had Did you cry tickets. from home? Yeah, it was bad. I um, I couldn't do it. Physically, couldn't do it. Um, it was more so like just the team sucked, and I was so disappointed for Eli and yeah, knowing that's how Eli was going out, three and thirteen team, four and twelve, whatever they were. And I, I, I couldn't do it. So I, I, I mean, and, and it goes and it goes to show, I mean, not everybody's going to have a stray hand, you know, even despite right. Peyton Manning's last game being a Super Bowl victory. It was not Please. that still that still is not. I don't he consider was that a a happy ending for Peyton. Right. Manning. Not everybody has the stray hand Ray Lewis moment. And if anything, I would not I would not have a Giants podcast. Um, I would not be such a diehard Giant fan if it were not for Eli Manning helping us win two Super Bowls, but especially one of them. Like one of them yeah. was the arm of Eli Manning and people That's and it. the talking heads in the media, they they think that 2007, 2011, they are carbon copies of each other, which I, I, I will never be able to fathom how that happens, but neither here nor there snacks. I know you want to, I know you want to comment on something, but you know, just in terms of just wrapping up this whole thing about, you know, Eli's final years and yeah, they didn't end well, but, that's like that's who Eli Manning is. Eli Manning was not going to call it a career when it was convenient for himself. It's like I'm just I know if I called if, if he called it at the end of 2017, right? It's ah, eh, they bench me. I know they want me. Uh, I you know I have a I they did bench him. So there was they people did. in the building that wanted him gone. Whether that was McAdoo, whether that was ownership, whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to comment on. It. I don't want to get into it. But there were I can sense that there are people that may not want me here. I'm just going to get out. No, the dude wanted to win. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't one of those people that was going to tell you how much he wants you to win. Like Damon Snacks Harrison is going to tell you, I want to win so bad. I want to do this so bad. And all these guys that tell you how hard they worked. Eli, you knew, you knew that Eli was going to be a guy that was going to, he was going to open the doors in the morning and he was going to close them at night, right with those coaches. Cause that's the type of guy that he was. And he played until he not until he just couldn't physically anymore, but he played up until the point where he just could not continue with the franchise. And I yeah. still have a feeling like the reason, the reason why I was kind of scared snacks when all those rumors were kind of floating around with Eli may go to Chicago. Eli may go here. I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know what? If Eli maybe didn't have a family here, he would, because the dude just wants to yeah. win. He wants to win because that is who he is. He is a winner, and he yeah. did it twice at the biggest stage, and he did it twice with kind of two virtually different teams, so to speak. So, um, no, I, yeah. I, 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 there is no, there's nothing that I can put on what you just said to emphasize more of what Eli was. And the whole, he might go to Chicago, he might go these little places. Yes. I remember that. And I'm like, Eli, please don't. You got to retire. I, mean, we, we, in this giant I knew, pool. I mean, I knew for a fact that that was never going to happen. No, you're but right. I think, but I'm Absolutely. thinking to myself, like it, he, it has to be going through his mind because yeah. this dude is a winner and yeah. he wants to win. And that's all yep. that, like the reason why he comes back, the reason he got, he, he always, first of all, wasn't even the last final years of his career. He always, I mean, maybe, you know, let's, let's throw in the 2011 NFC championship game. He always got the shit kicked out of him. And the reason why he always, always got the shit kicked out of him is because he was a stone cold killer and he's willing to stand in that pocket He's willing to manipulate that pocket, stand in that pocket for as long as it takes to deliver a ball deep down the field. You know, so he always got the shit kicked out of him because it was also 
self-induced because the dude because the dude just was a, like I said he was a stone cold killer so he, he always got killed he was getting killed for years killed for years killed for years and despite all that never said poo poo about anything poo poo about anybody and he got up and he and not only did he come up and he make the next throw but he was there the next Sunday and really you know so to kind of maybe put a bow on this there so I put I, I put out on Twitter on the bleeding blue account you know why is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer go and yeah. really the two best explanations that we got snacks. And this comes from, you know, shout out to Eric, Fisch, Eric Fischetti and Paul Rudd. They basically said the same thing. Go follow. You, can, you can't tell the story of the NFL without Eli Manning. Can't. That's true. No, it, 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 it's so true. Literally. You, you cannot do that. You, everybody will sit there. They'll do a last dance whole parade of a, a, a of a documentary for Tom Brady. And you know what needs to be in that documentary? Eli Manning. The two, the, Eli Manning. The two losses that he had, one of which was the greatest upset in sports history. I don't care what anybody says. Outside of the USA being Russian in hockey. But, all right. All right. Yeah, yeah, Nobody cares about hockey, Boomer. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I throw it in there. But anyway, it, it is that it is that big of a deal. And you're I can't I can't get over how right you are. I can't. Yeah. And I and don't usually, really know. I don't know what to say after this because you know how much I love Eli. You know it. Yeah. And the consistency every week, every week. And I think snacks. We're gonna look back three years from now. I, th- I think it'll be you know three four years from now when he's Hall of Fame eligible. And I when hope, he's in the Hall of Fame. Well, when he's Hall of Fame eligible, because it okay, will be a conversation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. We will have to have a conversation eventually. You're right. You know, convincing the the national world of why Eli. Well, I got done now. I'm just gonna shoot them all. So it's oh jeez. Um, sorry. Cut that. Cut that. Cut. That. No, no, no. It's 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 fine. I'm leaving that in there. I'm never I'm gonna not. shoot anybody. I just want to. I want that for the record. Snacks, I said that out of emotion. I said that out of emotion. It's gonna metaphorically. Metaphorically, yes. What a shoot paintball somebody. gun. Shoot somebody with the, the bottom of his foot. Um, so three, four years from now, when everybody, you know, when we're bringing up this whole conversation again, I hope now I'm not saying I hope that the, that the best starting quarterbacks in the NFL don't play 16 games, but I think the league is trending towards right now. I think the league is trending towards Patrick Mahomes. Isn't going to play 16 games every year. Lamar Jackson. I think, you know, he missed time with COVID this year. So that may, you know, that that's an asterisk. Um, Lamar Jackson may not play 16 games. Aaron Rodgers has consistently missed time. Ben Roethlisberger has consistently missed time throughout his entire career. Now, Tom Brady is an, is an, is an exception. You know, Drew Brees, I feel like, th- you know, these are going to be the guys that we kind of grew up with that are going to be the final exceptions of really Iron Men. But all these guys, you know, they're missing time. And they're, you know, even take Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, I think, is a tough son of a bitch. He's missed time throughout his first two years of his playing career. You know, largely because, you know, whether he's a mobile guy or whether he doesn't have enough pocket awareness, you know, who, you know, whatever. I think there's, it is going to become commonplace where we should not expect starting quarterbacks to play 16 games. And Eli Manning, you, you said it perfectly to start off the show. Eli Manning being there for every single Sunday, despite whether it be bad Eli, 30 interception Eli, or 30 touchdown Eli Manning, right? Having your franchise quarterback there and that question answered week in and week out, but then also year in and year out, that is so valuable by itself. 
that is so, so valuable by itself. Just having your starting quarterback and having that, oh, do we have this question answered this year? Check. Yes. Okay. Let's fucking go for it. You know, and that was basically from 2004 to, you know, 2017, where Eli really started to go down performance wise, or 2016, 2017, where Eli Manning really started to go down performance wise, where every single year we were looking at ourselves, do we have 10? Let's try and fucking build a roster so we can win a Super Bowl. So for 15, 14, 15 years, the Giants were able to look, we were able to look at ourselves and say, why not us this year? Because we have 10. And if that's not enough of a case for a Hall of Fame candidacy, I don't know what is, but guess what's next? We didn't just say, why not us for 14, 15 years? We did it twice. And he was the Super Bowl MVP twice. There you go. That's that's my uh, that's my mic drop. I I, I don't think you're going to say another word the rest of the show because that was so perfectly put. And I have I don't even know what to say on top of that. Drew Brees, by the way, missed a full fucking year. He missed a full year. Eli never did. Never. So at the end of the day, when they want to look at Hall of Fame candidacies and they see top seven in passing touchdowns, yards, everything like that. Don't stop there. Don't go look, go look at the Super Bowls he won. And I don't ever want to hear it was the defense. It was the defense, the defense. That's something I feel like we, we didn't talk enough about today, but we should right now. Yes. The defense was unbelievable, but you don't have, you don't have those Steve Smith outs for 12 yards on third and third and 11 for a first down. You don't have that perfectly thrown ball to Plaxico. You don't have the perfectly thrown ball to Mario Manningham. People forget where this all started from, where both of these runs, these titles come from. That's Eli. That's that right shoulder. That's it. That's it. The defense. Yes. Both years. Unbelievable. Oh, seven, 20 times better than 11. Don't even fucking try and tell me that's not the case because that 07 defensive line was ferocious. 11, not bad, but that was Eli. That was Eli. That was all Eli. Eight come from behind wins, Pankin. Eight. Eight that year. And my favorite one was Arizona, by the way. I was going to do a snacks bash. Oh, yeah. Really? That was my favorite one. You know how I think that actually, because you know me. We need to have a hard time. Watch that game. I have a hard time remembering away games for whatever you know. You know, like you know, I can tell you every fucking home game, but away games, it's like oh, you know, forget, forget Justin. That is that might be my favorite away game of all time. It was unbelievable, unbelievable game. Like I'll never forget. Like I was, I was in the car. Never in my life, I don't think I've ever listened to the Giants on the radio. Yeah. Shout out Bob Pop. I love you, but I, I don't really like no football's tough. Baseball's a lot more of a natural sport. It's Correct. a it's a good pace, but yeah. I'll watch ba- I'll, I'll listen to baseball on the radio all day, every day. But the Giants, I was in college. I was in college that year. It was my freshman year of college. And I was dormant at Montclair State University. And I remember listening it on the radio, and it was just like uh, it just seemed gloom, bleak, whatever you want to call it. I walk into the dorm. All of a sudden, Eli's throwing a touchdown to Hakeem Nixon. We're going up. Yeah. That game is so underrated. Because without that game, there's no there's no Super Bowl 46. No. Not at all. Not any of those fourth quarter comebacks. I mean, because that no, season nothing. was just so close. Yeah. All right. 
snacks. Sorry. We're gonna have we're gonna have plenty of years to talk about Eli. Um, that's the glory of this of this podcast. I mean, if anything, I think we've done a pretty good job this off season of kind of not talking about him. You know, there's there there have been some big topics that I think we've avoided. Um, because you know we want to save we want to we want to let time time continue to you know uh, foster and uh, whatever you uh, what what's a word what's a word uh, foster was pretty good. Let time foster, um, slow, <laughs> slow cook. How about that? Slow cook the That's history and the, the allure. Uh, well, I'm thinking of like a crock pot, the, the allure of, of Eli Manning. And we'll, uh, we'll certainly attack that as time goes on. And especially when, when he's going to be a hall of fame eligible, Oh boy, you know, it's going to be bleeding blue. We're going to lead that fucking charge. And we're going to put out everything that, uh, especially on the YouTubes and the podcast app. that's like, Hey, this guy kind of deserves it. So, um, snacks. So part two of this show is going to be talking with big blue VCR. We're getting into no medals for trying Jerry Eisenberg, 1989. It's like, literally it is going to take you through an entire week of the 1989 season. Jerry Eisenberg was like following Bill Parcells. He's following Bill Belichick all around. So uh, we're going to give some context to that season. What was going on? Uh, BBVCR obviously does a great job. So without further ado, let's take it away. And then we'll see you next week. Fuck Tiki Burger. If my aunt had balls, she'd be my motherfucking uncle, okay? So we're going to be getting into a book called uh, No Medals for Trying by Jerry Eisenberg. I am, uh, I've been literally, I've been talking about this book for two years. I've read already part of it. Um, but inevitably, you know, I always you know, need to go back and refresh myself because we're going to be talking about it on the show. And that's where we're going to be spending the majority of July. We're going to be reading that book and going through it. Mm-hmm. So, I figured there's not a better person. It's not a better uh, a better person than, than Big Blue VCR, who has probably all these all these games on you know cassette and on a hard drive anyway. Um, maybe let's, briefly, let's introduce the 1989 season. Now, uh, I know you're aware of No Medals for Trying, but mm-hmm. it's they're basically it takes it starts. Jerzenberg starts writing when they get on the plane from losing in Candlestick Park um, in San Francisco, and every, it feels like everybody's hurt. Everybody's at a part of a season where they're all banged up and they need to prep for uh, Randall Cunningham and the Philadelphia Eagles the next week. So that's what the book is about, writing about that entire process. Um, 1989, is, I believe, was a pretty fun season for the Giants. It went 12-4. and four. So why don't you kind of introduce that season for us and you know, maybe give some context around you know, what we're going to be reading about and what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's, yeah. Jerry Eisenberg is an amazing author and it's, it is a great book. I read it when it came out 30 years ago. Um, and I have it somewhere amongst my giants, like, you know, uh, documents all over the place. When you talk about 89, you really got to go back to 88 and what happened in 88. And, and we could be here for like five hours talking about 88, but the real kind of like top line to remember about 88 is they went 10 and six, they missed the playoffs and they missed the playoffs because they lost that last game against the jets. When Altoon caught a pass against Tom Flynn and Later that day, the Eagles um, beat, I think, I think they beat Dallas. Uh, they, they, they beat Dallas, they beat the Cardinals, where they clinched the NFC East. And then that night, the 49ers lost to the Rams on Sunday Night Football, where they just like literally just didn't stop trying. And that's where Phil Simms famously said they laid down like dogs because they didn't want the Giants in the playoffs. But the key thing from what happened from 88 to 89 was the Giants actually reinvented themselves later in that season 
we know about the up and downs in 88, like, you know, for, you know, they had those horrible losses to the 49ers when Rice caught the pass and then the, you know, the block field goal in the rain in overtime against the Eagles. I was in the stands for that one. That was horrible. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but what's lost was after that game, when they blocked, when LT blocked the field goal and Clyde Simmons ran it in the next week, the giants went to the saints and that's the famous game with LT with his shoulder when uh when he had the three sacks and uh and Hostetler started and he hit Baker for an 85 yard touchdown um and the Giants won on a last second field goal from Paul McFadden who to my knowledge is the only barefoot kicker the Giants had you should actually do a thing on barefoot kickers one day that was a that was a weird thing back in the 70s and 80s um the Giants got hot at that point they actually that next week after they beat the Saints they blew out the Phoenix Cardinals where the Phoenix Cardinals beat them before the Giants beat them like 44 seven or something like that. They then blew out the chiefs. Not that the chiefs were anything great, but they were rolling going into that, going into that jet game. And if you could make a comparison in 88, you can compare it almost to 2011 in that they were up and down, up and down. And then they got hot at the end. The only difference is the giants did not put the jets away. And the giants in that game went down 20 to seven, Sims was sacked like eight times. Like there was a, a guy who was a replacement player. Ken Rose sacked him three times. Marty Lyons, who's a, an announcer for the Jets, was a run stuffer. He got him oh, twice. So I, 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 that game was just, that was the worst game on earth to me. Like nothing will top how bad that one was. Because 88 was the one season where you didn't have a dominant team. If the Giants had made it into the playoffs, beating the Jets, they had as good a shot as anyone of winning that Super Bowl because the 49ers wanted nothing to do with them. But what coming out of the 88 season, what Parcells realized was Harry Carson was gone. George Martin were gone. They both retired. When you look at the offensive line at the start of the 88 season, he had William Roberts at left tackle. He had Carl Nelson at right tackle. Um, he had Billy Yard as one of the guards. He had Damian Johnson as the other guard and Bardotes as the center. By the time the season ended against the Jets, the only player in the same spot was Oates. And the, ironic, and the ironic thing is, is that Bro. Oates isn't Oates gone the next season and in San Francisco the next season? No, no, Oates Oates left after '93 to the to the to the uh, to the 49ers. So then Oates, who, then who left? There was there was uh, didn't Bart Oates and Billy Yard. They had a they were very close, and then one of them left and went to the 49ers. No, no, no. Art Ard actually left as a Plan B free agent to the Packers, and Oates stayed. Oh. So what happened was. Um, William Roberts was considered almost the bust. Like he was Eric flowers. Mm. They're like, you know, put him at right tackle. Like that doesn't work. Put him at left tackle. That doesn't work. They put him at left guard. They then took jumbo who was first playing right tackle and Parcells made him a left tackle. So suddenly you had jumbo and you had, um, and you had uh, uh, William Roberts on the left side. Oates stayed in the center. Mm. They then took out Damian Johnson and Eric Moore became their guard. And then Doug Riesenberg became their right tackle. So by the end of the season, that line started to gel to become the unit that ultimately went on to win the Super Bowl two years later. Mm. But it started throughout the whole 88 season. Then you get to 89. And when you talk about 89, you have to remember, and it, it would kill me at the time because you had the NFC East was the Eagles, the Redskins, and the Giants they were the three favorites. Like they were the ones that everyone said that they're going to win. I mean, you know, the, the Redskins had the Super Bowl hangover in 88. Everyone knew they were going to be better in 89. 
The Giants were 10 and six coming back. The Eagles are the media darlings. Everyone loved them. As usual. You know, yeah, because because you know you had Randall doing his thing, you know, like all the things, but you know, Buddy Ryan was prom- promising Super Bowls all over the place, their defense, like everyone loved the Eagles. Everyone knew the Cowboys were awful, the Jimmy Johnson Cowboys, because they had, you know, Jimmy Johnson blew the whole team up at that point. And and you know, all he had was really a Herschel, then he eventually traded him, which right. jump started the Cowboys. It's a different story. And then the Cardinals, who no one took seriously. So going into 89, you really had those three teams the giants however had now established their offensive line the giants also had an amazing draft like if you want to look back at the 89 draft look at what the giants did where their first two picks they took brian williams who was a center guard and they took bob cratch who was a guard you know both guys out of the big 10 the giants were big big 10 people back then like michigan michigan state um george (laughs) young loved those guys and George Young believed in something, I'm sure you guys heard this, called the planet theory. And what the planet theory was, was there's only a certain number of large people on the planet who are big enough and fast enough to play offensive or defensive lines in the NFL. And when you find one of those, you draft them. Huh? Because that, 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 was, that was his theory. And he called his the, type of guy, yeah. Yeah, that, so that's what he called the planet theory. So he already, when the year before, had, had uh, Eric Moore and Jumbo Elliott he followed that up with Williams and Cratch right on top of that. So he built up the lines. The Giants also got Greg Jackson in that draft. They got Myron Guyton in that draft. They got Howard Cross in that draft. Mm. Lewis mm. Tillman in that draft. And Dave Meggett. Dave Meggett. Oh, And they got Meggett in that draft. And one of the things you have to remember is every Giant fan loved Phil McConkey. Like, you know, yeah, we all did. He, he, he waved his towel. He did the stuff. And but by the end of Phil McConkey's tour with the Giants, he actually had he was his thing was he was shorthanded, like he would catch everything. He'd yep. go like you know eight or nine yards and get drilled, and then he'd pop up. Sounds like um, a Hakeem Nicks, like uh, th- that's the only person I could think of in recent memory. Yeah, yeah, like he just, just he just uh, he, Hakeem caught everything. Yep, he caught he caught everything and 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 did a great job. He he muffed the punt against the Jets in that last game, which helped set up a Jets score ah. and. Parcells knew it was time to move on for him. So he wanted it. He brought in Meggett. And I remember Meggett, um, you know, Towson State, like, who is this guy? You know, he's small. You know, Parcells likes big running backs. His first preseason game, he dropped three punts. Oh, no. And 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 you've like, like okay, we're going to cut this guy. Yep. Um, but Parcells stuck with him and he kept him around. And then all of a sudden, what Meggett did was he brought excitement to the Giants offense where he filled the role that Tony um, Galbraith played, which is a third down back. But Meggett was faster, quicker, and would do things that we hadn't seen as Giant fans coming out of the backfield. He was a matchup nightmare. The other thing that happened going into that season when you brought Meggett in was, was O.J. Anderson. Mm. Because O.J., again, the whole, the whole story, if you like, was he was traded for in 86 because George Adams hurt his hip in the preseason. George Adams was an explosive running back in 85. And if you go back, I've shown the clip of him catching a 70 yard touchdown against the uh, uh, Cowboys where he actually had a short pass and he just took off and ran by after he hurt his hip. He was never the same again, but he was gone. Joe Morris actually had like a blood disorder. He broke his nose and had an issue and the giants used Lee Russon and they realized like, well, this, we can have a problem. If Joe Morris is in a, has another issue, we need help. So they traded for OJ Anderson for insurance and never really needed him. He didn't do anything in 87 by 88. 
he was a he was a um, a short yardage guy and like a touchdown vulture. Like he scored eight touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that that's always such such a, a unbelievable dynamic dynamic to me because like Joe Morris was very good and it, the injury history that you bring up now, it, it's like okay, I, I can understand why they traded for OJ, but nowadays it, it's completely different. You're starting running back goes down. You sign somebody on the undrafted free agent list. It's, it's crazy. Right. You get some off the street, but again, that, that was the eighties. Yeah, 80s no, no, really I know that. Yeah, that's yeah, why, but... that's why it's so cool to me. And it's so, you know, it's so different. And OJ, I mean, Super Bowl MVP, like it's OJ Anderson. Yeah, you know? and, and he was, I mean, OJ Anderson, if you go back to 79, when Phil Sims was drafted, the other guy, the giants were going to take was OJ Anderson. Yeah. Like, those, yeah. Those I, the, I, yeah. I, I remember yeah. reading that they always loved him. Yeah. 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 That, so they they were always going to do that. And OJ was a stud with the, with the Cardinals. You know, he had a thousand yards a bunch yeah. of times. He caught like 70 yeah. passes one year. Like, you know, so right. if you actually go back to that trade, the giants actually tried to get Roy green Roy Jetstream Green, their wide receiver at the time, because they had so many wide receivers hurt in 86 that they had Hostetler playing wide receiver. Oh. And so they, they tried to get him the deal. It didn't, you know, the, 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 I think the Cardinals asked for a first rounder and the Giants said, forget that. And they just agreed on Anderson. But anyway, Anderson was sort of a, you know, he, he was there, but he never got his opportunity. Morris breaks his foot in the preseason. He's out the year and is right before the start of the seasons. So they bring in OJ and OJ has this rebirth like out of nowhere where then yeah. he rushes for a thousand yards. He got like, you know, a career high, like 14 or 15 touchdowns. Um, but when you're, you know, getting back to the question about like, you know, some setting all this up for, for 89. So 89 as a giant fan, you're like, okay, you know, a lot of the guys I know are gone. You know, uh, Harry Carson's not here anymore. George Martin's not here anymore. Um, you know, we do have, you know, you know, LT and, and, and pepper and banks and Leonard Marshall and, uh, you know, Jim Burt was actually gone too because Jim Burt failed his 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 physical, his back, and the Giants let him go. And then he ended up in San Francisco after that. That's what um, I was thinking of. Yep, Jim yep, Burt. Yep, Burt. Burt. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, Burt, Burt's back was bad, and and uh, the Giants said, like, look, like we don't think you should play anymore. And Burt wanted to play, and he went over to the 49ers and won a, won a ring with them. Um, you know, but for Giant fans, this is this is all new, and you have a new offensive line. And I showed the highlight the other day because it was Raul Allegre's birthday. Um, and Allegre kicks the 52-yard field goal at the gun to beat the uh, Redskins in RFK on the Monday Night Football opener. Like, as Giants fans, we didn't really know what to expect from the Giants. We're like, you know, uh, we think they're going to be good. Everyone's talking up the Eagles. You blink, and then all of a sudden the Giants are 8-1. and one. Right. Their only yeah. loss, their only loss was to the Eagles, of course, in Philly. That's the yep. game that that Banks caught the uh, um, the 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 fake field goal. Yep. Uh, and Reggie Wade almost caught him actually when he ran he he ran towards him. That would have been bad. Um, yeah, I feel but, like I've seen that clip on Twitter before. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. They should. And um, you know the, the but leading into the no medals for trying that 49er game, the Giants started to get beat up and injured Bavaro blew his ACL. And I don't even have the heart to show that in pain week. Cause it still hurts me too much to see that where he got, he got high load by Vincey Glenn, who became a giant eventually. And Cedric Figaro, I still remember the two of them hit him and you saw his knee go. And I remember I actually showed the play after it. The Giants scored a touchdown after that. And Bill Parcells did not even bother watching what was going on the field. He was over at the trainer's table 
with Bavaro, where you see, you know, Dr. Warren and, and Ronnie Barnes and all those guys, you know, manipulating his knee. And we know what that looks like. I'm like, Oh boy, this is bad. And of course it was, you know, he tore his ACL. So he goes out um, in the 49er game coming off of that LT breaks his ankle. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually showed that highlight as part of, you know, pain week with all that. And it's amazing to think of today. No camera actually caught what happened that night. It's Monday night football. It's Lawrence Taylor. All you see is a play where like, you know, uh, like Roger Craig is scrambling out to the side and then you look over and there's Lawrence on the ground. And then out comes the, the 49ers like helmet car to like, you know, haul LT off, which was something that nobody wants to see. And apparently, you know, the 49ers were known as a, as a cut blocking team, one that would sort of go for your legs, your knees. Mm -hmm. And, and people complained about the way that Bill Walsh had had his offensive line work. Wesley walls apparently just, cut LT who was nowhere near the play and took him out of his ankle and broke his ankle. So you have LT out, you have Phil Sims who was hurt a few weeks earlier against the Vikings on a Monday night game. Not And, and and that was, that was the uh, Halloween. That was the day before Halloween. So Sims is hobbled. LT is, you know, you're not sure what's going to go on with him. You have Bavaro out. So, and they got blown out by the Rams in LA. So things are sort of like looking dicey and you have the Eagles coming in where everyone felt like that game was for the division. Like everything was on the line for that one game because the Eagles had already beaten the giants. And they said, if they beat us again, we're tied. We're going to, it's, it's 1988 all over again. Yep. We're going to lose the tiebreaker. And, you know, like they were looking good for a wild card, which is a little bit more you know different than it was in, in, in 88, whereas, you know, they were right on the cusp because they all the tiebreakers went against them in 88. Right. But it was the same problem that like we could lose these guys and screw up the whole season. <laughs> and I know you said it was about 30 years prior that you actually read the book. I guess this will be the final thing we'll wrap up on. You read the book 30 years prior, so I'm not going to expect you to remember every little detail. But you know, Snacks, you know, obviously Snacks hasn't read it and I just started to read it. Yep. Um, did you enjoy, I've only read wonderful things and I, and, and I cannot tell you how excited I am to get into it partially because it will put, it will place me in the allure of Bill Parcells. It will, right. it will place me in the allure that is, you know, how we look at Bill Belichick even too, as the defense coordinator here and how they all go about preparing for a game, you know, getting to hear their words, their thoughts, their observations, how they go about their business. So what are your, some of your overall thoughts on the book? Are we going to enjoy it? Are we making a good choice? Um, you know, some more overall thoughts to kind of get us out of here. Oh, I, th- I think they will. If, if you're into Giants history, like you're going to want to read it because also like you can now l- look back and verify the, the, the stuff that's that's been reported. And yeah. I love the inside look at anything like with the Giants. Like if I it's it's the stuff that I don't see on Sundays that I love to learn about the Giants, about what it took to, to get a game plan together what's going on with the medical staff, like how much stuff is going on, you know, midweek to get, to get ready, what the game plans are looking like, where you're going to be like, okay, well, you know, Sims may not be able to play. So we have to get ready for Hostetler. And what does that mean for our offense? And how can we basically try to use the media to confuse the Eagles about like what's really going on and how can, how can we manipulate things? And that's a Belichick specialty. It's especially, and that's stuff that he learned with the giants and under, under Parcells and, and with Ray Perkins also. So he learned a lot of those things honed that with the giants, this, the book gives you that insight. Uh, one of my favorite, you know, documentaries that, that came out a while back was, was the two bills. 
if you've seen that, the ESPN oh, 30 for 30. 30 for 30. Unbelievable. Yep. Yeah. I love that where where he tells the story. Um, they're talking about the, the Lions game in 1990 that I, I went to where Belichick is worried about Mouse Davis's run and shoot. And they they gave the Giants fits in 89 with it. So Belichick remembered that and he goes, we need speed on the defense. So I'm going to have all these defensive backs and Parcells being like a wise ass goes, Oh, well then why you need speed? Then take Steven Baker. He's fast, you know, then, then use him, you know, with, with you guys. Um, yeah. That type of inside discussion stuff that you don't see. That's something that you can get, you know, th- that you get from this book where you see placing, you know, where the giants were in, in, in 89 going to those games. And ultimately, uh, you know, that, that game against the Eagles had so many things go wrong, like right off the bat. I mean, there was the emotional, like almost like Willis Reed lift that LT came out and LT is ready to play. And the fans are going nuts that, you know, like he broke his ankle and here he's here. He comes, you go in the first quarter, the giants, the Eagles scored two defensive touchdowns right off the bat. Unbelievable. And as a giant fan, you're like, Oh my God, here we go again with these guys. So, so you're wondering, you know, like, you know, where are we going to go again? The giants fight back, tie the game. And it looks like they're going to get over the hump. And then Randall gets that 91 yard punt with the wind because Meggett misplays it. And then Sims gets sacked by Mike Golick fumbles Eagles score games over giants lose. And then you're like, you know, what, what, what is this? Oh man. All right. So we're, we're pumped to get into the book. Um, we're also very thankful for you. I'm very thankful for your time. I mean, at, at this point, you know, when you're listening, uh, you've, you've, you've been on for two weeks. I've separated your time into, into, <laughs> two, into two weeks. So I cannot thank you enough for coming on to BBVCR. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll have to have you on again. This is mainly an off season show. We don't really go during the regular season, but, uh, since the off season's kind of wrapping up, we've, uh, love to maybe reconnect next off season. We could talk about some specific moments. I know I wanted to ask you about like the snowball game in 1995, <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll get around to talking about all those moments. Um, and like I said, thank you for coming on. It, it was a, it was a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, great. Thank you. Like, I, I, I'm always happy to talk to giant fans. I'm always happy to talk giants history. Like I said, this is, this is the, you know, my one, my one passion that, uh, you know, never changes and, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun. Absolutely. All right. Take care.